morning, great assembly. Thank you for being here. And I'd like to thank my teacher, Dalen Roshi, for her steadfast support of my practice. And I just want to mention how grateful I am for this weather, this cool, dark, damp weather. I don't know. It sounds depressing, but it's just lovely to me. Yeah, what a, what a gift. So I'd like to uh, start this talk uh, titled The Dharma of Gratitude um, with some points about Buddhist cosmology. So according to Buddhism, it is incredibly rare to be born a human being. And the Buddha illustrates this point in the Chigala Sutta, the whole Sutta. And he begins, monks, suppose this great earth were totally covered with water and a person were to toss a yoke, meaning like a ring, with a single hole there. A wind from the east would push it west, a wind from the west would push it east, a wind from the north would push it south, and a wind from the south would push it north. And suppose a blind sea turtle were there. It would come up to the surface once every 100 years. Now, what do you think? Would that blind sea turtle coming to the surface once every 100 years stick his neck in the yoke with a single hole? It would be sheer coincidence, Lord, that the blind sea turtle coming to the surface once every hundred years would stick his neck into the yoke with a single hole. It is likewise sheer coincidence that one sheer coincidence that one obtains the human state. It is likewise sheer coincidence that a Buddha worthy, rightly self-awakened, arises in the world. It's likewise a sheer coincidence that a doctrine and a discipline expounded by a Buddha appears in the world. Now this human state has been obtained. A Buddha, worthy and rightly self-awakened, has arisen in the world. A doctrine and discipline expounded by a Buddha appears in the world. Therefore, your duty is the contemplation. This is stress. This is the origination of stress. This is the cessation of stress. Your duty is the contemplation. This is the path of practice leading to the cessation of stress. Now, speaking of stress, cessation, and gratitude, I have two short stories, an analogy, if you will. Uh, so I'm sorry, an anthology, if you will. I don't know if two short stories make up an anthology, but I'm going to say it so. <laughs> I call it A Tale of Two Toilets. <laughs> One night... During the Dharma of All Beings retreat, there was a knock on my door. It was Peaceful Forest <laughs> who informed me in this peaceful way that the toilets were not flushing in the men's area and that material was coming up through the sinks <laughs> and the showers when the plunger was used. So this is stress. <laughs> I managed to get a plumber to come out the next morning, but he was not able to uh, do the repair at that time. Uh, I don't know if Bodhisattva Joe Patterson is here, but uh, he made a valiant effort uh, to do the repair, and we, and we did discover it was a ruptured main and with root incursion. And the repairs were done the following Monday. The cessation of stress. Along with the cessation, gratitude. <laughs> gratitude for the absence or the non-arising of more unpleasant conditions peaceful forest knocked on my door and he said what he said he did not use the words geyser spewing <laughs> gushing or uninhabitable he didn't say those things so there was gratitude thankfulness for 
arisen dharmas and also for non-arisen dharmas. <laughs> now on to toilet tale number two. Get it? Number two. <laughs> it's thematic within my uh, anthology. The following week, we hosted a Vipassana retreat uh, of about 38 people or so. The retreat was in full swing when I received a 7 a.m. text from Kelly, the chef. Uh, the text read, and I'm quoting, good morning. Looks like there's a clogged, uh, in parentheses, really gross situation, toilet in the women's bathroom. And then she uh, helpfully uh, added a, a kind of a thousand yard stare shock emoji like this. <laughs> so that was helpful. Uh, and then she ends with, sorry to start your day with that. <laughs> so off I go to confront this really gross situation. Uh, and I read really gross in my mind was I was preparing, you know, for grossness overflowing and material everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. It was uh, it was close, but it was contained within the toilet. So no containment breach. <laughs> uh, and the plumber got it sorted out later that morning. <laughs> and uh, plot twist. <laughs> Do you know why the toilet backed up? Paper hand towels. A, a lot of them, a lot of them, uh, according to the plumber. <laughs> no, another uh, never mind. Uh, so yeah it was, it was outrageous uh, this particular group is quite familiar with the uh, auspicious cloud retreat center infrastructure and just basic adult common sense says you don't flush paper towels down a toilet and, but the likely cause was not that group but uh, maybe some young children that were uh, staying briefly with their father uh, in, in that building was a likely cause um, we like to think so but we, we're letting it go <laughs> the investigation's over it's fine <laughs> so both situations were manageable and could have been so much worse um with a cessation of stress arises gratitude in the hierarchy of buddhist cosmology there are beings in higher realms of existence and there are beings in lower realms beings in these so-called higher realms heavens if you will um don't really experience any suffering or stress and they're unaware or unconcerned about the dharma and karma and abide in a world of pleasure and bliss and there's no impetus or drive for awakening because there's no stress no discomfort accordingly there's no capacity for gratitude now one mark of existence along with suffering and non-self is impermanence and when those wonderful karmic conditions and causes have been exhausted, there will be change and it could be quite jarring. As for beings in the so-called lower realms, animals, hungry ghosts, which are like lost, wandering, craving beings who can never be sated, and those in hellish states, there is no ability to know the Buddha Dharma and no opportunity to change that. Perhaps if the great Bodhisattva Jizo, and along with our Dharanis, maybe uh, we can reach these beings sometimes. So we have all gained uh, what Dogen says is the pivotal opportunity of human form with these extraordinarily rare bodies becomes comes extraordinary privilege. And with these privileged human bodies, how do we move through this one precious life? Do you have a sense of rarity and privilege? To see this life and this body as a gift, I think gratitude arises 
immediately and naturally when we see life and this world as a gift. The human realm is the middle way between high and low realms of existence. The human realm is the Goldilocks realm, like in astro astronomy, they say looking for Goldilocks planets, one that is just right, just the right star, just the right moons, etc. Here there is greed, hate, and delusion, and here there is the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. As Dogen says, I think we chanted it today, here there is delusion and realization, practice, birth, and death. Extremes of happiness or suffering do not intrinsically mark our existence. Still, all the states of consciousness from hellish suffering to divine joy and serene tranquility can be experienced within the human world. Our world brings with it the 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. There's a, there's a Tibetan prayer that says, grant that I may be given appropriate difficulties and sufferings on this journey so that my heart may be truly awakened and my practice of liberation and universal compassion may be truly fulfilled. So we live with this koan, how do we hold the dissonance between gratitude for blessings in life and grief over the suffering and pain in the world? Both are true, joy and sorrow, cruelty and compassion, abiding and accepting the paradox and living in the tension of discomfort of this question is the charge of this practice, of all spiritual practices. It invites the heart to open more fully. <clears throat> it's when we stop asking this question, turning the koan of how do I, that some concerning alternatives appear. We may sink into despair, consumed by sorrow, or we turn away and ignore what hurts, focusing only on the goodness or distracting ourselves from the fear and pain. I don't think that either is an accurate perspective or a helpful response. We don't act as if we're lulled asleep by comfort or convenience, nor can we act if we're overwhelmed with grief. There's a story, another story, uh, in the Book of Serenity, case number 36, titled Master Ma is Unwell. Master Ma is the Chinese Zen teacher, uh, Matze Daoyu of the Tang Dynasty, or Basso in Japanese. Is that Basso? Mm -hmm. Okay. And he was said to be a strong, imposing man, and he is credited with applying his fist and staff upon his students long before uh, Lin Ji or Rinzai took up the teaching method. Great master Ma was unwell. And an unwell can be interpreted as dying. The superintendent of the monastery asked him, how are you feeling these days? The great master said, sun-faced Buddha, moon-faced Buddha. It's said that a sun-faced Buddha lives for many eons and a moon-faced Buddha for just 24 hours. I think Master Ma meant sometimes robust and healthy and strong with many years of life ahead and sometimes weak and to the point of dying, maybe within a few hours. Living Buddha and dying Buddha is all Buddha. Joyful, laughing Buddha and sobbing Buddha are all Buddha. Buddha is always Buddha. 
When he was very ill and near the end of his life, Suzuki Roshi spoke to his students. And I'm sure, literally, that Tenshin Roshi was there posted by his side. He said, we may believe that Zazen will make us physically strong and fundamentally healthy, but a healthy mind is not just a healthy mind in the usual sense. And a weak body is not just a weak body. Even though I die, it's all right with me. That is Buddha. If I suffer when I die, that's all right. That's suffering Buddha. There's no confusion in it. We should be very grateful to have a limited body, like mine or like yours. So Suzuki Roshi had the capacity for gratitude, even toward the end of his rare and precious life. There's a Nichiren Buddhist sutra called the Contemplation of the Mind Ground. And in the sutra is a teaching called the Four Depths of Gratitude. These are gratitude for one's parents, gratitude for one's teacher, gratitude for one's country or society, and gratitude for the three treasures, the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. So no doubt that one in three, gratitude for our parents and our country may be difficult or even impossible at times. This too is moon-faced Buddha. What about gratitude for one's teacher? I would expand that to encompass all of our teachers, including difficult times and persons. Anyone and anything can become our teacher. Kiki, the temple cat, is a good teacher. She says, this is how to relax humans observe. <laughs> and when we chant our meal verse, uh, we reflect on the effort that brought us this food and consider how it comes to us. This is acknowledging our debt of gratitude and we question whether we are worthy of this offering. A debt of gratitude is a heartfelt acknowledgement, a humble recognition for those beings who help us in myriad ways. We say thank you. We express our gratitude and our gratefulness. Now what can I do? How can I help? And we avow our debt of gratitude. We realize the emptiness, the boundlessness of the giver, the receiver, and the gift. There's a Buddhist system, a practice called Lojong, or mind training. This comprehensive training system involves seven points of practice that comprise 59 slogans of specific points of practice. And the central theme of Lojong practice or training is recognizing that we can use our difficulties and problems to awaken our hearts, to wake up our obstacles, our difficulties, are themselves the raw material necessary for transformation. Slogan number 13 is to be grateful for everyone. According to the slogan, we should be especially grateful for having to deal with annoying people in difficult situations. Because without them, again, we'd have nothing to work with. Without them, how could we practice patience, exert mindfulness, loving kindness, or compassion? It is by working with these challenges that we grow and develop. Gratitude practice and loving kindness practice is compassion practice. It's heart practice. There's a form of psychotherapy, I just discovered this, um, called NICAN. Psychotherapy called NICAN that originated in Japan and was originally first developed by Ishin Yoshimoto in the 1940s. He was a devout Pure Land Buddhist. 
he practiced an arduous method of self-reflection called Nishirabe, which is uh, a really hardcore contrition practice, including sensory, sensory deprivation, etc. So he toned this down and created this system, um, I guess, wishing to make such introspection available to others, he developed NICAN as a method that could be more widely practiced. Now, it's not well known that much in North America today, but there are about 30 NICAN centers in Japan, and NICAN is used as in mental health counseling, addiction treatment, rehabilitation, mm -hmm. prisoners, schools, and business. It's also taken root in Europe with a dozen centers now established in Austria, Germany, and Switzerland. Now, the word NICAN means looking inside or seeing oneself with the mind's eye. And it encourages the student to step back and reflect on the life they are living. And the practice is essentially predicated on three questions. What, I, what, what have I received from Neely? What, are, what have I given to Constance? What troubles and difficulties have I caused Galen Roshi? <laughs> what, what have I received from blank? What have I given to blank? And what troubles and difficulties have I caused blank? Now, these three seemingly mundane questions become ever deeper and more transformative when asked and answered earnestly and frequently, daily. The questions provide a foundation for reflection on all relationships with parents and friends and teachers and siblings, work associates, children and partners. You can reflect on yourself in relation to in relationship to pets or even objects such as plungers and toilets. <laughs> you can reflect on a specific period of time, one day, or maybe you can reflect on the Thanksgiving visit to your family. In each case, one acquires a more realistic view of one's conduct and the give and take that has occurred in the relationship. Nikon practice has its Buddhist roots. With its Buddhist roots, it's like an antidote to the afflictive obstacles, the hindrances that can impede our capacity for gratitude. And some of these hindrances are lack of awareness, lack of reflection, lack of knowledge the giver is unknown, the assumption that others know that I'm grateful, procrastination, if not immediate, one's gratefulness may decrease with time, forgetfulness, laziness, entitlement, I have a right to receive what I received. Uh, they're just doing their duty. It wasn't much effort for them. They later caused me trouble. This reading about NICAN therapy brings to mind uh, what is known as the five remembrances, which can also evoke, maybe, hopefully, a sense of gratitude. I am the, of the nature to grow old. I cannot escape old age. I am of the nature to grow ill. I cannot escape sickness. I am of the nature to die. I cannot escape death. I will be separated from everything and everyone I hold dear. And my only true possession is my actions. These remembrances can be seen as only sources of sorrow, loss, and lamentation. But do these five powerful facts of life offer anything else? A sense of gratitude and thankfulness for the gift of our present condition, a bitter sweetness 
a sense of reverence and privilege for this rare and precious life? Can this teaching elicit a sense of appreciation and gratefulness for this exquisitely painful and beautiful world we inhabit? 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows, sun-faced Buddha and moon-faced Buddha. Thank you.